Cardiovascular disease, or CVD, is a leading cause of death in both Canada and the U.S. Among the many factors that increase the risk of CVD, some, such as genetics, are unfortunately unchangeable. However, other factors like high cholesterol can be modified through what we eat. One such food? Beans. Beans are a nutrient-dense source of fiber and protein and are known to decrease CVD risk. We know beans are healthy for us, but do you know how much we should eat to reap those benefits? What about what types of beans? Open your ears and mind, and let's chat about that. Welcome to GriffinCast, a podcast where we casually chat about science coming out of the College of Biological Science at the University of Guelph, and how that work can affect lives around the world. I'm your host, Michael Lim. With me today is co-host Leo Boguslavsky and special guest and professor Dr. Allison Duncan. We'll be chatting about Dr. Duncan's recent published work looking at how the consumption of beans leads to decreases in LDL, or bad cholesterol, in adults who have high cholesterol. We'll also discuss what our work might mean for implementing dietary strategies to reduce CBD risk. Welcome, Dr. Duncan. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Laura. So as we get started to kind of introduce yourself to our audience, how would you describe your research or I guess the work in general done in your lab? Um, I would say that my research is really focused on generating evidence to support a role for whole foods in the prevention of different chronic diseases. So being at Guelph, I'm particularly interested in, in looking at that continuum between agriculture, food, and health. So you know, some examples, I've studied the human health effects of soybeans, lentils, and beans. I'm also interested in better understanding how different population segments consume and understand these foods. So for example, I've studied how older adults perceive beans. And I'm also interested in translating the knowledge of all that nutrition research to people who can use it. That sounds really interesting and very great work. Why did you decide to research this topic and did you expect to be doing this type of work? Mm -hmm. um, well, I did expect to be doing this kind of work because I essentially love doing nutrition research. And I decided to do this because I recognized a gap in the literature. And I wanted to do a human clinical trial looking at health effects of consuming something as readily available to us as canned beans. Was there any kind of a eureka moment where you, I don't know, were shopping one day, saw beans on the shelf, like, oh, perfect study option right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I eat canned beans almost every day. So I don't know if there was any one moment. I, I think that my moment was really in high school when I realized I wanted to study nutrition. Um, because nutrition's really been a focus of my entire career since first year undergraduate, and I've just always been interested in it. But I think this study in particular, I really wanted to do a human study that intervened with canned beans and pro produced evidence that could be used for people that can use it. Well, that leads perfectly into what we're going to be discussing today. So you recently published a study called Canned Beans Decrease Serum Total and LDL Cholesterol in Adults with Elevated LDL Cholesterol in a four-week multi-center randomized crossover study. Now, can you briefly describe why you think the bean diet literature is so extensive and why beans were the chosen health food in this study in particular? Sure. Um, I think that first and foremost, beans are they're an incredible nutrient-dense food. Um, they're very, very nutritious, and in combination with how affordable they are, 
they're a very appealing candidate to study and examine how they might affect human health. So they do get a lot of attention, but there's still some gaps in, in what we need to know. There's still lots to be done. And so for this particular study, I chose the CAM beans because we needed more research here. We needed to address different questions. And this study addressed two main kind of gaps. One was it looked at two daily amounts of beans in the same study. And also it looked at multiple five different varieties of beans in the same study. So kind of speaking on different sizes of beans, in your study, you selected different bean sizes being a half a cup of beans or a whole cup of beans. And these in turn were then compared by using a whole cup of rice or rather a whole cup of white rice. Is that a particular reason why you decided to use a half cup and a whole cup for those versus a whole cup of rice? Is that standard for this kind of work or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are good questions. I think when doing a nutrition study that's especially on foods, a lot of attention is paid to what you're actually going to study. So of course the beans were a big focus for this study. What types of beans, how much beans? And so in terms of the amounts of the beans, it was really decided based on what had been studied before to show effects on the things we are looking at and also what's reasonable for people to consume. And also two amounts that were distinct um, yet not really too far apart. So the half in one cup um, is kind of something a lot of people can relate to. And then in terms of the rice, you know, it's a tricky thing to decide what you should you do for a control in a food study. We can't yeah. give them like non-beans. <laughs> so <laughs> white rice was kind of a choice based on a couple of ideas. That is, it's something, you know, everyone can relate to. It's, it's, it's a familiar food. It also hasn't been shown to affect the measures that we're looking at. So it was kind of, you know, a little placebo version, but not really, but it, it was a control food that made sense to choose. Cause I guess they have to eat something. It's not like the kids <laughs> can't eat nothing compared to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Especially well, for a multi-week study. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that is an option, Michael. We could have done that. We could have done a diet with and without beans. Um, mm. And that, that could have been an option. It's just that the idea of having something, it's its kind of appealing for a logistical being in a study component. Also, jumping back a little bit, you're talking about how there's a gap in terms of studying canned beans. Is there a lot of literature in terms of looking at, I guess, fresh beans or dried beans compared to canned beans? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And so by the end, I know you guys are going to know a lot about beans, so you can get them in the <laughs> but you can also get The them listeners will too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So you can have them for dinner tonight and you can also get them in a dried form in the bag and then you can soak them and, and prepare them. And so the studies that are available in the literature, they're not extensive to tell you the truth, um, but there are some on dried, but there's also a lot on different forms, like, like in a chili or in some kind of food product, like it's, it's kind of across the board. Um, that's what I was kind of appealed towards, just the plain old canned beans. You know, everyone can get those. Um, they're on sale, they're affordable, <laughs> and you can relate to them. Well, based on the results of your study, you found that um, consuming beans found that there was a decreased uh, total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol by consuming these beans. Well, do you think that increasing the amount of beans in an individual's diet would help the cholesterol levels even more? So say one and a quarter cup or one and a half cup as opposed to one cup? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good question, Lior. And I think that was kind of the um, hypothesis we had by examining the half versus one cup that we might we might see that kind of increase in magnitude of effect. That's what we examined. And we didn't see that from a statistical standpoint, but the numbers kind of reveal that from the half cup to the one cup. So to answer your question directly, I mean, I'm not sure I would want to research that. I think, you know, a cup is a lot and <laughs> it's probably enough. Um, and the thing about nutrition and examining these types of things in literature is we're doing it on a pretty short term, yet people's lives are pretty long term. So I would be uh, not really wanting people to consume like a lot more than a cup. That's a lot. And even if they don't consume that much, as long as, you know, they're incorporating beans into their diet on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not so worried about, you know, exactly a cup kind of thing. It's more that you're including it, your diets, you know, has beans in it. That's a good thing. Would you be interested in perhaps pursuing a study where it's beans in combination with another health food? In terms of lowering cholesterol, would that be a, an interest as well, or strictly just beans? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, of course, an interest, and that's the whole idea to have a healthy diet that's based on variety and based on incorporating many different foods that have been demonstrated to improve our health. So that is what should be done. I mean, we can't be eating beans all day only, so there's many other things to be eating. Um, in terms of researching that, that is um, very interesting. It has a lot of challenges, but it's not impossible. And in fact, in Canada, we have one of our leading nutritional scientists from University of Toronto, Dr. David Jenkins. He studied what's called the portfolio diet, which is exactly that. It's combining a whole bunch, a whole medley of foods that have demonstrated health benefits like beans and soybeans and nuts and plant sterols. And so and it showed incredible effects. So that whole aspect of variety, um, it has a lot of power. Even just beyond the food types, like for your study, because you had five different types of beans. Imagine it makes it a lot easier to eat a cup of beans a day when they're all <laughs> mixed up instead of just one whole cup of one single type of bean. And even then, the dietary and the nutritional benefits are pretty similar across the beans, right? Yeah, I mean, in our study, we looked at five varieties of beans, kind of um, all on a rotated basis. So we did not do a direct comparison of the bean varieties to each other. More, It's more that our study showed that consuming a variety of beans was efficacious. It was able to decrease cholesterol. Hmm. So speaking of cholesterol compared to other diets, and we touched a little bit on this a little bit earlier in terms of white rice, but is white rice always used as a baseline comparing to people's diets? Or why do you think that is? And do you think comparing to a more nutrient-dense food, like say brown rice or maybe even like hummus might be a better comparison? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's so challenging to figure out the best comparison because um, we're dealing with foods. We're not dealing with a pill where you could just give a sugar pill kind of oh, thing. Yeah, yeah. And so it has um, the elements of considering your control food to be something that people will be familiar with and it'd be not a big deal for them to consume. It would also be something that's not expected to affect your outcomes. So for example, brown rice, um, it might affect your outcomes because it has more fiber. Mm. So that wouldn't be as great of a choice. Um, so it definitely is a challenge and white rice seemed to be the, the best choice in this case. 
So your study excluded a variety of participants based on different criteria such as being diabetic, having high blood pressure, or regularly consuming large amounts of alcohol. Do you think the health effects seen by increasing bean consumption would be greater in populations like these? Um, I think that's a good question. I think that it could be because some of those factors also increase heart disease risk. And so maybe those um, individuals might have more to gain from consuming beans. However, the primary reason for us excluding those factors wasn't really related to that. It was more related to trying to um, avoid situations that would affect our study measures that weren't the beans. And so when we are looking at a research study and intervening with something, if we see changes in our measurements of our study, we want it to be because of what we intervened with, the beans. Mm. We don't want it to be because the person's blood pressure changed or because they had diabetes um, or they had another thing happening. That is in our study, we wanted everyone to have their habitual um, routine and we screened them to have um, not have factors that could affect our study outcomes. So the results of the study can still be applied to these populations of people then who would benefit from beans, even though they were not participants in the study? Mm -hmm. um, I think that in the strictest sense of the word, the application of the results are most fine-tuned to the types of participants you studied. However, in many cases, they can be more generalizable to a wider population. And I think Yes, it, it could be. It, I think it is. It is. This is generalizable to a wider population because let's face it, you know, there's not a lot of downsides about eating beans. Mm. We can get over the flatulence. <laughs> we can get used to it. So I think that it has generalizability to those individuals. Um, another part of your study that I was kind of curious about was that it lasted for four weeks for our audience who hasn't read the paper. So is there a reason why it's only in the middle of the study. It's around the two-ish week mark. You had a three-day food record where participants were essentially writing down what they were eating. So you get kind of a nutrient profile in the middle of the study instead of looking at, say, the beginning or the end. Do you think there'd be differences mm -hmm. across these three windows of time? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a, a good question. I think that it's relevant to note that the food records as part of the study weren't really um, completed for us to look at effects on the food records. Moreover, they were completed to just get an idea of what participants were eating during the study. Hmm. And so it was really kind of like a background collection of data. And so we felt that midway was the best because it was kind of like, okay, they're into the time, the, the intervention period, and this was kind of like, they're getting used to it and this is what it was like. And so um, that's kind of why we did that. The other element is completing food records is a lot of work, actually, on the participants. <laughs> it was um, it was sufficient to do that. Out of curiosity, do you think that the study participants would have kept substituting food for beans even after the study ended? So they heard the results mm -hmm. of your study. It's time for beans forever. Goodbye, rice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I mean, that's our hope that the experience for those particular people would be long lasting. Having said that, this was a crossover study wherein every participant did every treatment period. So everyone uh, in the study had four weeks of one cup, four weeks of half cup, and four weeks of white rice in a random order. And then there was a four week break in between. So during that four week break, we didn't want them to keep eating beans. So they had to stop. <laughs> so what I'm hoping is that they really wanted to and they stopped for the study. And then at the end of the entire study, they went back to their beans. 
Well, later in your study, you touch upon the types of beans you chose being particularly um, popular in, you know, by by being purchased from Canadians. One type, pinto beans, did not fit into that category, even though they're widely used in bean diet research. Why did you think pinto beans are so popular in this work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And in choosing those five varieties that we did examine, we did a lot of exploration and consideration. And we had like a document committed to that, that we were working on for a few months. And we were consulting with Ontario bean growers and sales of beans and the, and the research. And you're right, that pinto kind of stands out a little bit, but not a lot when you compare to the research. And I think that basically, you know, we're not dealing with just Canada, we're dealing with other countries and other cultures and pinto beans is more common um, there. So it made sense to include it for that comparability aspect. Speaking of the five types of beans, out of curiosity, of those five, do you have a favorite? (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to say for me to rank my favorite beans because they're all so amazing. Mm. Um, The one thing I, you know, that I will mention just kind of a little note is I did learn a lot about the history of the navy bean because it's not navy, it's actually white. (laughs) And um, it's more has its name from, from the navy. Black beans are great if you're wanting to include them in say brownies. I make that a lot. Um, I also eat black beans a lot. Um, I'd say that, you know, because of the availability, the dark red, I think I'm just, I just eat more of that, I think. But I find that they're actually sold out more now and they're just red is fine too. So I have been eating a lot of white kidney because it seems like people are buying more canned beans or the supply chain is an issue. So I've been having white kidney beans a lot lately. So you don't want to take credit and say it's your study motivating people to buy (laughs) beans. Yeah, I've been leaving like reprints in my study at the grocery store. (laughs) Why you should buy beans is flyers everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I should, they should have it in the flyers is a little footnote. Yes. For those people who are interested in incorporating more beans into their diet, but perhaps don't like the taste of beans or don't like traditional bean recipes like chilies, for instance, mm-hmm. do you have any specific recipes or types of ways that you incorporate beans into your diet, even if you don't feel like, you know, eating a side of beans, for example, with dinner? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, there's an endless supply of resources in that regard. I'd say here in Ontario, the Ontario Bean Growers has tons of resources for lots of really cool recipes and that are different and um, incorporate beans in a way that you don't realize it. Also Pulse Canada, um, they have, so beans are a type of pulse Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of really amazing recipes. Um, Also in our lab, we've created different resources. Like we created a bean toolkit um, Mm -hmm. that has a lot of cool recipes. So really the um, the possibilities are endless, especially if you have like a masher or um, a food processor or any sort of like device. I usually just use mashing because I don't want to wash all of the appliances. <laughs> but there's like, it's, it's just endless. So in the end, uh, we've kind of given away the spoiler many times already so far, but your study showed that consuming one cup of beans, not half a cup, decreased the total amount of cholesterol and LDL cholesterol in adults, therefore lowering their CBD risk. So what do you think are some of the major benefits provided to your field by just the fact that these canned pulses can produce results? Do you think there's more research in the area that needs to be done or more types of beans? Yeah, I mean, so you're right in, the, in summarizing the results. 
And I think that it advances the field because it just adds the literature and its publication in a very high quality nutrition journal enables it to be exposed to academics worldwide so that it can help inform the progression of nutrition research. Um, I think in terms of next research steps, it's really, there's so much to be done. Nutrition research has a lot to be done always. And in this area, there's examining other population subgroups, there's examining other risk factors for heart disease, there's examining other diseases. There's always a lot of research to be done. Lots <laughs> of job security there. In general, I think most people might underestimate the impact that lifestyle changes like diet can have on our health and disease risk. Is this something that motivates you personally and in your research? Mm -hmm. It's interesting because that question, um, I, I've thought about that a lot. And I, I think, well, first of all, what motivates me to do nutrition research is that I essentially, I really love the fact that we all have a choice about what we eat and drink each day. I think that's really interesting. Um, and I wanna be a part of creating information that guides those choices. Um, but with respect to you know, people underestimating it, I feel like maybe you know, people aren't underestimating it. They're not just, they're just maybe not approaching it with the same matter of intensity and timing as they might be if they already have a health issue. So for nutrition, we're kind of more a lot of the time, not all the time, um, but a lot of the time we're talking about more long term for future. So this is in contrast to like if you if you have something happen to you and you take a medicine right away, you're going to like this is intense. I'm going to do this and it's going to work versus nutrition is kind of long into the future. And it, it takes a while to get the benefits and you might not immediately see them. You have lots of time. And so I think that those are factors that come into play. And what was the most surprising part of this research? I can't really say that like I had any surprises, which I'm glad about because <laughs> it meant that we preconceived challenges because that's mm -hmm. a lot of our research. Um, but I, I will note that, you know, the pandemic was a surprise <laughs> and it, it disrupted this study, like, you know, human clinical trials probably for a few years to come, we're going to have a footnote about COVID-19 pandemic disruption. <laughs> so that was a bit of a surprise. So kind of looking to that answer, if you go back in time and change one thing other than stopping COVID from being spread around the world, <laughs> what would it be and why? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything that I would change. I, I feel like we, we put so much effort into this study and thinking about every possible challenge and mitigating it. So I feel confident and we did all that we could. In terms of what we're doing next, we actually still have samples that are being analyzed by our collaborators at the Guelph Development and Research Center by Dr. Dan Ramdath's lab. And they're looking at the fecal samples that we had the participants collect. <laughs> um, they're looking at measuring different things in the fecal samples to examine potential mechanisms by which the cholesterol was lowered. So that's like what's happening next for this work. And now we're going to take questions from social media. So Lior, you want to ask our first question. Do you have a recommended way to introduce beans into a diet? Is there an upper limit for how many servings of beans can be consumed within a week? Okay. So, I mean, it's encouraging people are asking about the upper limit. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, you're probably, you're probably going to meet your limit just by natural, um, like I, I don't, I'm not aware of like toxicity, like 
six cans or something. Like there's no, <laughs> I think that you're probably aiming to just consume some beans at this point. Mm. And in terms of introducing them, um, what I would recommend is um, in moderation slowly because you can have side effects of beans um, that are related to flatulence and gastrointestinal reaction, but that will go away once you're used to them. Um, so I would just recommend checking out some recipes or really all I do is I just eat them. <laughs> like I'm probably <laughs> strange, but I just have like a little tiny little um, container and I just put like, I just fill it with beans and canned beans that I've drained and rinsed. And they're quite filling pretty much every day. I have beans in a tortilla with some grated cheese and mm. then warm it up and it, it, I'm completely full. Our next question asks, beans are well known for their quote unquote, adverse gastrointestinal outcomes, or I guess, you know, flatulence. <laughs> is there a way to prepare beans to reduce that? And does that affect the health benefits that the beans provide? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, in this study, actually, we monitored those um, symptoms over time with the half cup and the one cup. And we're working on analyzing those data to publish them. But in terms of that, that's correct, that can happen. And I think it varies by person um, in terms of what your background diet al already was, but definitely graduated amounts is the best way to handle it. There is not evidence that I'm aware of that that would alter the health effects of the beans. And so I think it's more revealing like that the beans are kind of doing their job, <laughs> but <laughs> it's more like that they are working. So but the flashlights is good. That means that it's working. <laughs> yeah, we have to accept that as part of our society. I mean, if you're, if you're a, a child, that's like comic relief right there. <laughs> Spread some joy in your home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. And they do call, they have called beans the musical, the, the musical. Oh yes, the musical fruit. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fruit though. That's why I paused when I said that. I don't know why. But, yeah. <laughs> the musical bean, I guess. <laughs> it's the musical bean. <laughs> yeah. So going off of that, are there... Notab notable health differences between fresh dried and canned beans and can anything be done in terms of how they're cooked to reduce these differences if there are any and does it depend on the type of bean or brand as well mm -hmm. yeah that's lots of questions so basically there have been some demonstrated very minor nutritional differences between dried and canned primarily related to the folate content but the significance of it is not um, a rationale to choose the dried beans over the canned beans. Um, canned beans also can be higher in sodium, but that can be mitigated by buying low sodium versions and also draining and rinsing. Ontario Bean Growers actually has resources on how to best drain and rinse, but the longer the better is essentially the way to go. And um, it hasn't really shown to alter the health effects. So in other words, as long as you're eating the beans, yeah, it doesn't matter how you do it, doesn't matter what type, right. just get the beans in you. <laughs> yes. Do you have any final comments to make about your work? And let's just only take away one thing from our chat today. What do you hope that it is? Um, well, I think final comments. I just want to show how grateful I am or like say how grateful I am to everyone involved. The University of Guelph, the graduate students, the collaborators, the funders and the participants. Um, I think that's that's my final comments. And then in terms of what I want people to take away, I think just the general idea that we have a lot to learn from nutrition research that can change our lives for the better. That's That would be my message.
If I start saying names of people that I'm grateful to, we'd have to extend for a long time. But for this study, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I'm grateful to so many people. Kati Doma is the PhD student on this work. And, you know, her and I emailed back and forth. I'd say in my email, when I go to email during the time that this study, it would be Kati and my husband's name that came up. <laughs> and I think Kati won out on that. And Karen Dolinar is an MSc student. And so, yeah, we worked really closely and had a lot of fun. And of course, this was a multi-center study. And we had a group of researchers led by Dr. Tom Oliver at Inquis uh, Research Center in Toronto. So all of the people there, and I already mentioned Dan Ramdath and Dion Lepp works with him. There's, there's so many people, yeah. <laughs> Leora, do you have any final dying questions you really want to get out of Dr. Duncan? I think the bean literature is just so fascinating. Do you see yourself continuing to do research in the long term, like for, you know, the bean literature, or do you see yourself branching into other health foods and other nutrition sort of areas besides beans, like letting beans rest for a second? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can never let beans rest. So I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in all of the above of what you just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of the above. Well, on that positive note, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. A big thanks again to our guest, Dr. Allison Duncan, for joining us today. Griffin Cast is brought to you by your host, Lear Bogoslavsky, and me, Michael Lim, with editing assistance from Ian Smith. If you're hungry to learn more about different science topics, please check out Scribe Research Highlights. That's S-C-R-I-B-E, Scribe, Research Highlights on the University of Guelph website at uguelph.ca. Or... You can follow us on social media at U of G CBS. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Music in the podcast comes from Upbeat. There'll be details in the show notes. And until next time, please stay curious. <laughs> <laughs>